Okay, we are jumping into chapter 16 of Revelation this morning. Remember the things that we talked about last week in chapter 15 that angels come and they bring messages and uh, it's an introduction really for the last of the seven plagues. We had the the seals and we've had the, the trumpets and now we have the bowls of wrath. So the last of these seven Patterns uh, that we see uh, of your wrath being poured out upon those who live on the earth. Remind us, Father, before we uh, even begin today that uh, we indeed are protected from these things because we have the seal of God upon us rather than the mark of the beast. Uh, Remind us, Lord, that these are visions that John saw. They may sound terrifying to us, but we know that he probably experienced a real terror when he saw these very visual visions uh, that you showed him uh, 2,000 years ago. And, and Father, we know this, that uh, Revelation is one of those most difficult books in the Bible, perhaps, to understand, but we know that there is lots of good, many lessons, Lord, to be learned from it. And pray that we would learn these lessons this morning. We've said this a uh, number of times in the last weeks, and that is that judgment is a big part of Revelation. You can't get away from it. You can't ignore it. You can't just pretend like it doesn't exist because it is right here and it is right in our face, and uh, we cannot get away from it. But we will read chapter 16 this morning. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God into the earth. And the first angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth, and it became loathsome and malignant sores upon the men and, uh, that, who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in, in, it, in the sea died. Uh, and the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous art thou who art and who wast, O holy one, because thou didst judge these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent, so as to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent. Of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. 
for they are the sons of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of the Lord Almighty. Behold, I am coming quickly like a thief. Blessed is he who, uh, who stays awake and keeps his garments lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And we will stop there. I don't think we're going to get, get near that far. but So once again, John hears a voice. And it's coming from the temple. And we know that there are other passages in the book of Revelation where John has heard a particular voice. For instance, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, he heard uh, a voice on the Lord day crying out to him. And it sounded like thunder. And we know that was the voice of Jesus, a familiar voice that he had heard for three years every day as he and the other disciples went about ministering alongside of Jesus. So that voice was a familiar voice to John, and I would not be surprised if that's not the voice speaking at this point. He doesn't say it specifically, but I think we've got good reason to believe this. That the temple here is not what we think of as the temple. Uh, I would say it's a reference to the very throne room of God that we studied all the way back in Revelation 4 uh, and 5. God is speaking. God is sending forth these angels with these seven bowls of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not just the anger of God. Wrath is like supercharged anger. It is anger to the utmost. It is passionate anger. This is what the rebellion of mankind has brought forth from God. And it will be poured out upon the earth. And we know that one of these days, Judgment Day will come. It hasn't come yet, but it will come. And in that day, there will be no one believers left in the sense that there will be no one who any longer does not believe there's a God. Every person will know that there's a God. The question when it comes to people is, what aspects of that God are you going to know the most? His love or his burning hatred? His wrath? It's God's response. God's legitimate and righteous response. The only response God can make. He must make this response. As a result of the cosmic rebellion of mankind as a whole and individually God is the author of these judgments he's only sending forth his angels as instruments to apply them the first angel goes and sores break out on people now that should remind us of something It should remind us of the plague of boils that the Lord poured out upon Egypt. This is the sixth plague of the plagues that God 
poured out on Egypt in order to bring Israel out of Egypt. The interesting thing about this is that early on in those plagues that the magicians of Egypt were able to replicate what Moses and Aaron were doing. But then they get to the point where they can no longer do that. And boils is one of the ones that is tries they hard. The magicians in Egypt could not cause people to have boils. The thing about it is, is this, is the scriptures tell us that at this point that these magicians themselves were so covered with boils that they could not come and stand before Moses and Aaron. Now, some people in this room maybe have had a boil, boil in your lifetime. People do get them. And I would imagine they are unbelievably painful. Notice here that they're not given to everyone. They're only given to those who bear the mark of the beast and who have worshipped his image. In other words, believers are protected. You don't ever have to worry about going through this. It will not happen. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood. That reminds us also of Egypt, the first plague. It had to do with the Nile River. You may not realize it, but the oceans and the seas cover 71% of the Earth's surface. It's almost three-quarters of the Earth's surface is covered with the sea. The seas account for 97% of Earth's water. The seas and the oceans. And we name them different things. We have the Indian Ocean, we have the Atlantic Ocean, we have the Pacific Ocean. Are they disconnected from one another? No. For the most part, what you're going to find is salt water bodies, seas and what seas and all the oceans, they're connected, they're interconnected to one another. They become blood. Now that's an amount of blood that we can't even conceive of. We know something about blood. We know that people need blood to live, right? And people in, in other organisms, other mammals, reptiles, so on, we need to have blood, right? But blood is living. And once it leaves an organism, it dies. And it putrefies. And it pollutes Notice here, every living thing died. How many people in the world are utterly and absolutely dependent upon the oceans for their food? There are lots. I'm reading On Plymouth, Plymouth Plantation now. It's a book that Lori had for the kids when they were home and she was homeschooling them. And I've always kind of thought about reading it, but I picked it up and began to read it and you know, it's about the, the pilgrims and, and, and everything that took place in order for them to be able to come to a found Plymouth Colony and, and all their trials and tribulations. And one of the things I never thought about before is this, is one of the primary things that kept them from, from dying the first year they were here was the sea. 
because they got so much of the food that they ate from the sea. If it wasn't for that, they would not have made it the first year. The sea is important to mankind, almost to the point that we can't even conceive of what it would be like for mankind to live on this earth without having the oceans and the seas. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. The rest, that 3% of water that's remaining, is now also polluted with blood. People can go without food for weeks, even months. People cannot go without water that is fit to drink for more than three to ten days and they will die. Some people will die after three days without having water. But at this point, all of the water on on the planet, the salt water and the fresh water, has all been contaminated and putrefied with blood. There is nothing fit for drinking. I think there's something very fundamental in regard to this particular type of plague of water turning to blood, whether it be fresh water or seawater. And that is this. that mankind has had a great thirst for the blood of the saints in every generation. We know that the world had a great thirst for the blood of Jesus. What it seems to me is this makes a lot of sense to me, and that is that what God has done is he's, he's used, in essence, the same judgment that the world made upon his Christ and believers in every age and even today will make by shedding their blood. He's giving them a taste and an essence of their own medicine. I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. There's a lot of talk going on in Washington today about prison reform. And the whole issue is this, is are there people serving sentences in, in prison today you know, where their sentence really exceeds the gravity of their crime? In other words, were they overcharged? And we know that President Trump has recently released a few people from prison already because that was kind of the conclusion that people had come to, that this person had served a lengthy prison sentence already and the, 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 the sentence they were given initially was beyond reasonable. Well, I don't know what your opinion about that is. I mean, there's positive things about it. There are negative things about it. And, and one of those things is very often that these are drug-related things. And we understand that drug-related things have the potential of reaching into all kinds of facets of the lives of many, many people. 
so I think that's something that needs to be considered. But what I, I just want to say this is that man's court is not a perfect court. I mean, there are people in serving sentences in prison. You know, and I don't doubt this for a minute. Serving sentences in prison for stuff they didn't do. You also know that there are people who have committed really, really serious bad crimes and their and their 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 sentence is not sufficient for to meet the crime that they're committed they've committed and been convicted of. But I want to remind us this morning that this stuff that's going on here is not in the court of man. This is in the court of God. Then in the court of God. The sentence always is equal to the crime. Always. Without exception. God makes no mistakes. Not one. His court is perfect. And we look at these judgments and we say, gosh, this is terrifying. This is horrifying. This is unbelievable. Are people really that bad that they would suffer such things as this? But remember that God is righteous and God is holy. That when he pours out his wrath, it is not over-exaggerated at all. as is every other one of his attributes. So his wrath is perfect. True and righteous are his judgments. Always. The next plague, and the fourth plague, the angel poured out his bowl upon the sun and it was given to scorch men with fire. Notice here that you're out in the cosmos now. It's not things that take, something that takes place specifically on earth. There are consequences on earth for what takes place. But this bowl of wrath is poured out upon the sun for a purpose to be used as God's instrument of judgment. I would imagine most of us have had a sunburn, right? The reason we have sunburns is because there are certain types of radiation that are emitted by the sun that actually burn our skin, gives a, give us a oh, sunburn. is basically a radiation burn. We've all had those. Early on in the trumpets, one of the trumpets, when it blew, blew then the, the, the intensity of the energy coming from the sun was decreased by a third. What we're seeing here is the opposite. The intensity of the sun increases. To the point that people are being scorched because of the fierce heat. Now, we know that fire heat is one of the instruments of judgment that is very clearly laid down in Scripture. 
Jesus describes hell as that fiery place. We know that sunburns hurt, right? That our skin is very sensitive to these things. And I can't, I can't even begin to imagine the pain that would result from this kind of a plague. People would be scorched. But notice here, what you would think would be this, is that, like, like we said before, at this point, we have to realize some things. And one of those is this, is every person knows that God exists. These are no longer people that are denying God because they they just don't think he is. Everyone knows that God exists. You have to know him to curse him. You have to know him to blaspheme him. No one doubts for a minute that there is a God. But notice here, even in their torment... Even in this, this severe judgment of the scorching of their skin, which would be absolute misery, it is not enough to turn them. Even though they know that God is and he is, they are being confronted with his reality, they still refuse to repent of their sin. Well, we look at that and we wonder, well, what's going on? That's a measure of just how dark and how black the human heart really is. How far from God the human heart in its fallen condition is away from the God who made it. You've heard me say this already, and that is we think of how can it be eternal? You know, this, this punishment, Jesus calls it the eternal fiery place. How can it be? Well, it's because of this. It's because even when they brought face to face with their sin, even when they come, in essence, face to face with God, they refuse to repent. Again, it's just a measure of the fallen human heart. And let me tell you, if your heart's not in that place, it's only because God has softened your heart. Not because you've done anything to soften it yourselves, but because God has been active in you. And by His Spirit, He has softened your heart. He brought you to the place of repentance. You didn't go there all by yourself. He revealed himself to you to know him, to know that he is, and to know that he is the greatest blessing to those who know him and acknowledge him. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. This is one of the the great things about reformed perspective on things, and that is we know that ultimately everything that is done is done by God's power. That we do not save ourselves in any way, shape, or form. 
He does all of it. He does every bit of it. That's what grace has to do with it. And if it wasn't for grace, no one would be saved. Do you understand that? If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be among these that would be suffering like this if we happen to still be in the earth at that time. But God is a God of wrath, but at the same time, God is a God of grace. And we know that is true because we've experienced it. We've benefited from that. Do you ever curse God? Have you done that lately? It doesn't necessarily mean just spewing out the words. It means far more than that. We were talking also in Sunday school about assurance. That there's a right ground for having assurance of salvation and there's a wrong ground. There are people who think they have assurance of salvation because they think that they're really great, good people. They decide for Jesus and all these other people wouldn't. God didn't do any of it. They did it themselves. I would imagine there are a good number of people that fall in that category. But what we said this morning is this, is there's a fundamental thing that underlies all of it, and that is it's accomplished by God's grace. That those who have been set apart have not been set apart because there's something special about them other than the fact that God has decided to love them and to make them his own and to bring them, do everything necessary to bring them to that point. See, guys, the, the gospel without grace at the heart of it ultimately is not the gospel at all. It may sound like it to some degree, has some similarities. But fundamentally, what it says is, is, is we do it. By, they, they make things into uh, faith as being a good work. And so by our good work of faith, we're saved. That's not what the Bible teaches us, guys and gals. We're saved because God has done all of it, part and parcel. We can't contribute anything to it. We can't add anything to what Jesus has done. We can't take anything away from Jesus that he's accomplished. We have to trust him. It's also a big part of the picture. Trusting in what he says. Trusting that what we read today and study today is truth, God's truth. Don't necessarily understand all of it. And let's be honest, there's still a little bit of us that's saying, I think he's making just a little bit much out of this. But God hates sin. 
unbelievably hates sin. And he's always perfectly just. Notice here in one of these verses, it says that as far as the blood and the water, that they deserve it. Understand that in the judgments that are coming, that everyone deserves the judgments. And that's where we would all be if it wasn't for Christ who came and lived, who endured the wrath of God on the cross for you and for me. See, he saved us from us. We're not going to experience this. But you need to understand something. That Jesus endured. Jesus suffered. Jesus knows the wrath of God like nobody else has or ever will. God poured out the penalty for every single sin of every single believer that has ever lived yet is living today or will live upon this earth. That is what Jesus endured on the cross. The full measure of it. One of the reasons I would say that, that in fact the Savior that came had to be both God and man. Because only God himself could endure his wrath. No created being could. But Jesus did. So that you and I won't experience it. Everyone else will. They're special. Because God made you special. We will continue next week. Well, let me say this, that uh, repentance is an ongoing thing. It's not that we just repent once and we're done with it. Repentance should be a characteristic of our life. We would be looking at our own lives, looking at our own hearts, seeing our own sin and repenting of it unrelentingly.